There are a ton of ways to generate quote unquote passive income as a physician. Of course, one of the most popular ways is investing in real estate. Should you think about doing it? Well, there's probably a chance you might not know where to start and you wouldn't be the only one. And that's completely fine because we all begin somewhere. So let that somewhere be here. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. Really excited to highlight a listener question that came in that I think was really well done, and I'm just going to get straight to the point. Let's hear what Greg has to ask us. Hey, Ryan, this is Greg. So first off, I want to thank you for everything that you're doing at the Financial Residency Podcast. Uh, you're putting out great content, and we really appreciate it, so keep it coming. So I am a first-year pediatrics resident, and I have a question for the show. Obviously, as a first-year resident, I have a long way to go before I'm actually making attending money and can really seriously start making a dent in my financial future, but I'm trying to basically develop good habits early on and educate myself as much as I can so that we put ourselves in the best financial position that we can. I'd like to preface the question by giving you a little bit of background, but I'll try not to belabor it. So as I said, I am a first-year pediatrics resident. I am planning to do a fellowship, and my wife is a writer, and she also has a part-time job as a librarian, so she also helps to pay the bills too. We are both very interested in aggressively pursuing financial independence, I think that for any professional, this should be an important goal in their life, and I'm just kind of learning about it now. It seems like overall there are kind of two main strategies that are tried and true for pursuing financial independence, the real estate strategy and the stock market strategy, or like a mix of the two. Right now, I'm leaning towards the real estate strategy, mostly because of the cash flow that real estate rental properties can provide. So my question for the show is when you're a high income professional and you have like an extra $30,000 that you can put towards a rental home, does it make sense to put that extra money towards the rental property mortgage, like paying down the principal, or does it make more sense to then purchase another property or would you rather put that money towards the stock market and diversify your portfolio? What are your thoughts on that? And what would you generally recommend to your average client? So thank you for your time. Thank you for your consideration. And I look forward to your response. Greg, what a podcasting voice, my friend. Holy geez. I could just listen to you talk all day. You need to come on the show more often, my friend, because that was, that was beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much for the kind words for real though. It really means a lot and I really, really appreciate that. And I love that you're trying to increase your financial knowledge and looking at all this stuff so early in your career. It's fantastic. There are many ways to achieve FI or financial independence for those of you that don't know what we mean by FI. And what FI is, is the ability to have your investments and your income derived from those investments to fully cover your expenses now and into the future. It's the point that you would get to where you want to work for fun, not because you have to. And many physicians that hit financial independence or that want to hit financial independence, 
they don't want to leave medicine. It's just more that you don't want to take the crappy calls or shifts. So I can understand why financial independence is such a big goal for so many physicians. Now, I don't want to ignore the stock market investing portion of this question, but I'm going to spend a bunch more time on the real estate side of this question. So for the stock market portion of the portfolio, and that would include stocks and bonds, I would say you want to be maxing out your retirement accounts via your employer. That would be your 401k, your 403b, potentially a 457. Uh, Like if you work for the government, that makes it a big difference. But if it's non-governmental, maybe that's a big maybe. Actually, you should be doing that. You're also going to be wanting to max out your IRA and hopefully doing backdoor Roths each year for you and your spouse, as well as you know, maxing out your HSA each year if you have one. And the contribution rates did change. Uh, 2020, it's $7,100 for a family, and it's $3,550 for single filers. Now, I'm going to talk a lot about stocks and investing a little bit later on this year. We've already got the whole year planned out for financial residency, which is really exciting. And so there's a ton of content coming around that. So if you're still stuck, anyone listening on beginning investing or trying to figure out the different accounts or all the different things that go into making up your portfolio. Don't worry. I got your back. It's coming, but I am going to focus more on the real estate portion of this question. So to continue on the financial independence path, if you're looking for the RE part of the fire movement kind of deal, and that's the retiring early, you're going to need to save or invest in either a taxable account or in your case to your answer, a portion of that into alternative investments like real estate. Now there's several things that you might not know or think about when it comes to real estate because it all sounds great. Passive income, investing in real estate. I'll be here to tell you that there's no such thing as passive income. Anyone that says that is completely lying and they haven't done it long enough to really think through the word passive. Hey everyone, it's Casey from Physician Wealth Services. It's so important to consider whether or not real estate investing is right for you and how it fits into your overall long-term goals. If you have questions or aren't sure how to create a plan to reach financial independence, we would love to help you navigate those important financial decisions. Make sure to reach out to us at physicianwealthservices.com. We are fee-only fiduciaries and help hundreds of physicians in all 50 states, so don't keep putting off taking action and reach out to us and book a free intro call. Okay, I'm going to grab my popcorn for the rest of this show, and I'll see you guys on Friday. Passive to me would mean I put money in, I never touch it, I never look at it, and I get money. If it was that easy to invest in single-family homes and do real estate, everyone, and I mean everyone, would be doing it. But it is absolutely not the case. There is so much work that goes into this stuff. I mean, trust me, I've done, I've bought and sold like 20 homes. My whole family's in real estate. I know I've told stories on this. Actually, on match day, you're going to get to hear from my stepmom, who is an agent, and it's going to be really fun to hear uh, her side of this and help you guys understand what it is from a real estate agent's and broker's perspective. But I've done this a lot, and I see this a lot, and it is not passive by any means. So some of the other things you might not have thought about in real estate, though, are deals may be hard to find if you have limited time. This is not your full-time gig. You are a physician. Now, it's different if your spouse isn't working and they have a ton of time to be looking into this stuff. 
then that's fair enough. Maybe that's not the case. But for most people, that's not the case. Usually it's two working spouses and one of them is usually a physician, if not both of them, and they have limited time. You're going to be looking for deals and you're going to be looking on the MLS or the multiple listing service, which is where all the homes are listed. You might be thinking Zillow, Trulia, Redfin. Those three are kind of the big three that you might be looking at. There's several others, but you're going to be looking for deals that everyone else is looking at the same deal. People that do this all day, every day. You're also not going to really get access to off-market deals or pocket listings that agents might get from Maybe they sold this home three years ago to someone who contacted them and said, hey, I'm moving. Well, before it goes on the MLS, it might be going to an investor that that agent has already been working with and have bought and sold lots of homes with that investor. So they're going to get the deal before it even maybe hits the MLS. It is really hard to find deals on the MLS, especially in this market when we're in this huge bull market. Second thing you might not have thought of is, Deals might not work in your area. So if you are, let's say, in San Diego like I am, there is no way I'm going to be able to go and buy a home in San Diego that's actually going to cash flow. And especially for the price point that you had mentioned in your question. You said if you had about an extra $30,000, how would you invest that? Would it be to pay down the debt? Would it be to buy more homes? And let's be real, $30,000, you're going to put 25% down on an investment property that's a $125,000 house. That is not San Diego prices that went by the little shed in the backyard for that amount. Those are Midwest prices and they're not really nice homes in the Midwest. Those are more starter homes in the Midwest, which is totally fine. And in the Midwest, they have more cash flow, but less appreciation. I'm being general here. I don't know that all the areas in, in the country, I'm not an expert everywhere. Honestly, I'm, I'm a true expert in Las Vegas pricing, because that is where I chose to focus all my time and effort and energy because I have a whole team there. And one of the things that I think that we should really discuss here is the idea of if you're not a DIY type person, your returns may be lower than you're even estimating or that other people might be receiving and telling you that they're receiving. And what I mean by DIY is, can you fix a toilet or replace a window or redo the carpet if it if it needs to be pulled out and, and laid. I can barely use a hammer. I'm totally cool admitting this to thousands and thousands of people. I can barely use a hammer. My brain works the math side of the equation, not actually building things with my hands. So I know that when I underwrite a deal, I not only have very little time to work on this stuff because I'm busy doing lots of other things. So I'm going to need a property manager that I'm going to pay a percentage of the rents to but I also need to make sure that I have a really good team of handymen or other vendors that can come in and do certain things. Do I need to change over a unit really quick, fix light bulbs and do little basic things? Yeah, I could probably do that myself, but let's be real. If it takes anything more than just fixing a light bulb, I probably can't do it. So I'm going to end up having to pay people for that. And that's going to make my return lower. And the less handy you are, so on the spectrum of are you like MacGyver or are you Ryan? If you're more like me, your returns are going to be lower because you won't be able to DIY a lot of that. And that's okay. I can still make deals work in normal markets because I actually plug those into my numbers. And as I analyze deals, I factor that in the Ryan factor, if you will. If you can't do this stuff yourself, it's totally fine. 
You just have to factor it in. The other thing you might not think about is that bad renters can really crush your returns. And if you need to live off this cash flow, that could be really poor planning on your part if you don't have protections in place. So vacancies in place and you don't have maintenance and repair costs and other holding costs in place to cushion that. So things that, you know, really that I see that most people don't think about, at least in the beginning parts of this, are are those things. Now, real estate is nice because you can literally walk up and feel your investment. It's tangible. It gives you great tax rates and it's a great way to build wealth. More millionaires are made through real estate than truly anything else. Although I feel like more tech people are making more money than real estate people at this point, but it's a fact that real estate has made more millionaires over length of time than anything else. Is it the only way? No. And you know that. Now, treating the investment debt like any other debt, you know, to get to your question, should you pay down each loan or should you snowball it or should you buy more houses? Now, it wouldn't be a bad strategy to pay down the debt aggressively, but it's going to limit the amount of growth that you have. You won't be able to buy more homes. You're just going to own more free and clear homes, which is nice in a down market. You're not having to pay a ton of payments to the bank. A lot of that rent money going to the bank every month because you will own it free and clear. But if you continue to reinvest all the cash flow, as well as additional money, that extra 30K you mentioned, you had that extra savings, you're going to be able to add more doors or more homes to your portfolio. Now, adding more doors, you know, with all the cash that's going to be coming in over time, you would then be allowed to or be able to snowball those monthly cash flows and eventually money that you have and be able to toss that into one loan and then another and then another and snowball it in. But it's how much risk and how aggressive do you want to be? And that's where I'd really like you to think about on the spectrum of, you know, risk and being conservative or aggressive, would you be comfortable owning 10 homes and not just the amount of work with 10 homes, but the debt that comes with those 10 homes? If you had to take on, you know, you put 30,000 down on a $130,000 house. Now you have a $100,000 loan times it by 10. You have a million dollars of debt. Yes, you have assets that are going to cash flow, but would you be comfortable carrying another million dollars of debt in addition to your primary residence, in addition to student debt, and hopefully at this point, no car or any credit card or any other debt? That's a lot of money, even in Midwest pricing for just 10 homes. And lots of people out there that you hear the so-called gurus have dozens and dozens of homes that maybe you've been reading and looking at. That's a lot of debt. And so most people aren't comfortable with that. Now, this is all great if this is the life you want to live and you're willing to work at it. But again, there's no such thing as passive income. I really don't care what anyone else says. I manage the properties myself each and every month, and each one of them has work to do every month. Is it tough work? No, absolutely not. Is it something that you couldn't figure out? Not a chance. You're a physician. You guys are like the top 1% of our population in terms of like, brain power. Like you guys would absolutely get this stuff, but does it take away from time that you might want to spend, you know, with your family that now you're looking into spreadsheets, analyzing deals, scouring the MLS for the right deal, signing loans, negotiating, talking to agents, fixing things that renters break, 
dealing with a property manager, even if you're not a DIY person, yeah, absolutely, that takes time. And all of that needs to be factored into your real estate investments because your time equals something. And for a physician, it equals a lot. So not officially, but let's look at the return on your investment if you were to pay yourself an actual hourly rate to do the functions or even pay someone to do those for you. Because I look as like, how much are you getting paid per hour? And you can use a quick estimate on that. And then estimate how many hours it will take you to do all the work to find a deal, get the offer accepted, get the loans done, sign the docs, get the house rented, you know, get it rent ready, and then manage it every month. And I think once you do some of that math, you're going to realize that your returns are dramatically less because you have such a high earning potential. So weigh out the pros and cons before jumping two feet in and just not really thinking about it. You asked what we would do with our average client. And I will tell you, not everyone is cut out to be a real estate investor. And that is completely fine because you can do that through ETFs and actually have exposure to real estate and still own real estate. And I think everyone probably should have some of that in their portfolio at various percentages based on your risk tolerance. And, you know, full disclosure, I can't give you really any investment advice on the show by any means, but I like real estate and I think there's ways to own it. Now, that's kind of like saying not everyone should be an entrepreneur because we are a crazy bunch. We are the only people that enjoy working 60, 70 hours a week, so we don't work 40 hours for someone else. So not everyone's cut out to be an entrepreneur. Not everyone is cut out to be a real estate investor. But it's best that you know this up front rather than getting too far in and hating every second of it or maybe even worse, completely checking out of it and things go downhill real fast. Mailbox money, as they call it, it sounds nice. It sounds sexy, but it takes time, effort, and money to accomplish this. And two of those aren't passive. Now, personally, I'd like to always give back some reference here, is personally, we have chosen to not pay down the debt in one house aggressively, but we wanted to buy several homes while the market was favorable. Now, that time is not now. We haven't purchased a home since 2016. And to be real, it's not for the lack of trying. There just really aren't any great deals in the market that I know, like, and trust, which is Las Vegas. It's where my whole family is. They've been there 50 years. I don't want to date anyone because I have a feeling my mom will come kill me. But They've been there like 50 plus years. They've done real estate there forever. We have all the vendors, all the stuff in place. It's really easy to invest even out of state there. But we've been trying and there's just nothing. And we're actually looking at selling some of the homes because I believe that the market has far outpaced normal healthy growth in Las Vegas. Now, in selling, it could go up another 10, 20, 30%, which is totally fine. I'm not greedy and trying to eke out every penny out of these things. But I think the homes are trading at a very favorable price. Slanted actually in my favor because we've bought and held for a long enough time. And that's why I think we're looking to sell some of our homes. Now, when the market corrects, like all markets do, we'll be ready to jump back in. And for all of you that have listened long enough, you might have caught on to something. 
Now that sounds a little bit like timing the market, doesn't it? Well, it is, and it's something that I'm very against when it comes to investing in the stock market. But I think it's a little bit different in real estate, and that's because real estate is truly an inefficient market, yet it's still exposed to the same human emotions that the stock markets have, you know, with the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. But it's tough to rebalance your real estate holdings, but that's effectively what I'm trying to do. I'm selling off a few homes, not all of them, while the prices are high, waiting to have a better entry point once the market cools down. Now, in relation to the stock market, that would be like me selling some stock, but in the markets, I can go buy some bonds. I can't really do that. I can't go buy the opposite of real estate, although I could actually go put that money into bonds, but I'm selling a few homes while prices are high and waiting for a better entry point once the market cools down. And that could be six, 12, 24, maybe even more months. And that's totally fine. I can wait. I'm in no rush. I'm playing the long game, if you will. And if the market never returns to the levels we see today, I'm totally cool with that as well because I still have a horse in the race. I still own a few of my better properties, but I like that I can actually cull some of the properties that haven't done as well or have deferred maintenance that I can sell for a premium and take some risk off the table. Now, Greg, the reason why I wanted to lay all of that groundwork out is because if I were 100% dependent on that income, like that was my retirement plan, it wouldn't be viable. And it's one reason why I don't like real estate as a full-time retirement plan. Well, nothing, I don't like anything in extremes. I don't think that's a good thing at all. And real estate is no exception. So hopefully that was a decent enough answer to your question. I really, really appreciate you calling in. I'm so proud of you for taking steps already as a PGY1 to figure this out and your peds so it makes me even happier. All right, well, it's time for our journal club. And this week we're gonna be discussing an article that was posted on the site Pivot Points MD titled Learning to Fly is Like Learning to Fly. First, love yourself by a good friend and an emergency medicine physician, Dr. Bill Yoon. Now, if you know Bill, you know he's a little bit wild, but it's the kind of wild that makes you appreciate just having him around. And not only is he a funny guy, apparently, he's a guy who also likes to fly, both in the literal and figurative sense. And in his blog, Bill talks about jumping out of an airplane and was an idea that he's had for 37 years. And after turning 54 years old last year, he finally decided to take the leap after, of course, his wife made sure that all the life insurance plans were paid up, which I find fascinating and hilarious. Now, before leaving, he decided to write a note to his family about being off on another adventure and made sure, of course, that all his bills were paid before because he didn't know if he would actually make it out alive, which is, again, funny. And what I really like about this article is not only that it was written by Bill, but he likens his jump to embracing freedom, freedom in his finances, freedom to choose a happy life, and freedom to enjoy the present. And I quote the conversation he had with his jump instructor. I told Eduardo that I was jumping to learn to fly and embrace life and silently to myself to face the fears that were holding me back from what I believed to be my greater potential. I was here to jumpstart a new chapter in my entrepreneurial life and FI, financial independence. I had declared smart, 
specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely war, which he titles Wealth Accumulation Rate on Financial Independence by 59 and a half. And this was the opening volley. He's got a way with words. I love it. And he goes on to talk about his pursuit of financial independence and how the jump is similar in theory. And I want to read you guys one more quote. Learning to fly is not much different than learning to fly. It's largely an EQ journey to a mindset that requires a little IQ, mathematical skill sets, and tool sets to pull off a reverse engineered life of financial stability and creative freedom that many inappropriately refer to as retirement. My first flight in this case may have been my last, unless my sons invite their dad on a camaraderie flight if they are bitten by the same bug. Now, in my experience, I see and talk about leaps of faith with your finances and doing so in a way that Bill did. Is it jumping out of a plane? Probably not. That would scare the crap out of me because I'm afraid of heights, but it can be finally, you know, buckling up and evaluating your cash flow or making payments on your student loans after years of just not knowing what to do. Who knows? It's different for everyone. So my personal finance is personal. Now, if you're feeling a little overwhelmed with making decisions around how you manage money and experiencing you know, a little freedom in your life right now, well, something will probably have to give. Maybe take that leap of faith. Love yourself a little more while you're at it. Now, I'll make sure to tag Bill on social media. He'll tag himself on social media if you guys have followed Bill. But assuming that you're following us, you will be able to see it. And if you're not, you know what you need to do. Follow us at Financial Residency and at Physician Wealth on Twitter. All right, so let's jump into one of my favorite segments. It's our digestible tip where we're going to cover one digestible tip that will help you increase your financial acumen and maybe even cause you to take some type of action with your finances. We've all heard the expression that it takes money to make money. And there are times we definitely have to spend money to make money. Yeah, you heard me correctly. Even a financial planner like myself is telling you that sometimes it's okay to spend money. There's actually a few areas in life where hiring a professional can save you money and quite a bit of time, both which have a lot of value. For instance, a good accountant is worth his or her weight in gold, especially if you own real estate or have a side business or just a lot of assets. A fee-only financial advisor can help create a budget, an investment plan, and honestly, a plan to tack your student loan debt. And depending on your monthly obligations, it might be worth the time back in your life to hire things like a landscaper or a professional organizer for your home. If you feel like excess clutter in your home is causing issues for your family, then it might be time to look at hiring a cleaning service. You can't afford all of these, but you might be able to afford some of it, especially if it brings you happiness. Prioritize those dollars to things that make you happy. So if it's bringing you value to your busy life, and helps you focus on taking care of your family and practicing medicine, then it sounds like a really wise way to spend your money, if you ask me. All right, so for our quick community update, our financial fellowship has launched, and it is off to the races. We've had four calls so far, and the interaction within the community has been honestly amazing. 
you would think that since I started the community, I would be the one to log in and talk the most. But four of our 25 founding members have beat me to it. And that is amazing and wonderful. And I love seeing all the interactions, the questions, and even the answers from others in our community to rally around one common goal, which is to take control over their finances and to put a custom plan into action that helps them live out their version of their ideal life. And that's what we're working on. And it's so exciting. So we've touched on cash flow and getting organized. And we even did some goal planning in our first few months together. And I can't wait to continue down the path of helping them build out their own financial plan. We are going to open up the fellowship again on April 18th. And I am actually releasing this out on air early so you can all prepare. The cost is still really affordable. It's going to be $6.97 for the year. Seriously, that's less than your cable bill. And you're going to get a ton more value out of just mindlessly watching The Bachelor. All right, Taylor tells me that it's not that bad, but I'm more of a Game of Thrones type guy. So I guess I'll relate it to that. Regardless, we're keeping the price within reach for attendees and of course residents on purpose because I want to help thousands of you succeed in living out your best life. That is my why and it's my mission and I'm really lucky to be able to provide this type of service for our community and I honestly can't wait to see all of you inside. So I won't be opening it again to like, you know, hundreds of people. It's not that scalable yet. I wish it was. We'll get there. But if you want to be in on the next round, again, I'm going to limit it because I can't scale it that fast. If you want to get in though, we're going to open it on April 18th. So send me an email at ryan at financialresidency.com or click the link in the description and someone on my team will reach out to confirm your interest. Now, wait, wait, wait. You know I love you all. So I got to let you in on some important legal stuff that isn't that cool to talk about, but it's really necessary. Now, this show is fun. It's educational. It's generally good information for the average physician. What it isn't is specific financial advice for any one person. I'm not your financial advisor, unless I am, and then you're good. I want you to know that I can't help you directly. I want you to say, though, I learned so much from this podcast but I can't be held responsible for the decisions you make based on the information that isn't tailored to you. Now, if you want tailored information, you got to talk to a professional or reach out to our firm, Physician Wealth Services. Casey, myself, and the team are going to hook you up. Have a great week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for being here. See you guys on Friday. Cheers. Cheers.